0: We are looking at Exodus chapter twenty. The last time we were together, DB preached um, on the eighth commandment, and we are looking this evening at the ninth commandment. We are um, almost out of the ten commandments, and if they say confession is good for the soul, so I'll just tell you, it's been really difficult for me to preach on the ten commandments because they are really convicting, and if you are not feeling any conviction, there's something really wrong because they are meant to be convicting. We are never meant to read the Ten Commandments and think I'm doing pretty good, ever. But they are an encouragement for us to see our need for Christ and what he's done for us to flee to him for pardon and for power and for growth and grace and conformity to his image. And so we are looking this evening at Exodus chapter 20, verse 16, just one verse, the ninth commandment, and here the Lord through Moses says to old covenant Israel and now to us in the new covenant, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Well, there is a phrase that I heard recurrently when I was a child, and I know that you probably heard it as a child, and it went something like this, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words can never hurt me. That is patently untrue. (laughs) Sticks and stones can break your bones, and that hurts, ouch, but words sometimes are more devastating than sticks and stones. Martin Luther once reflecting on this commandment, made the statement, reputation is something quickly stolen, but not quickly returned. Reputation is something quickly stolen, but not quickly returned. And it happens when we say things that are untrue about others, when we say things that are partially true about others, when we say things about others in such a way that it gives the impression that we ought to think the worst of them in some way. And this commandment, though it is a courtroom commandment, and we're going to talk about that in a, in a second, has a much broader application. This commandment is uniquely um, given by God to address what we say, why we say it, and what impact what we say about one another have on one another, um, Thomas Watson, the Puritan, in his opening exposition on this commandment in his book on the Ten Commandments says this, the tongue, which was originally created to be an instrument of God's praise, has now become an instrument of unrighteousness. This ninth commandment binds the tongue to its good behavior. God has set two natural fences to keep in the tongue, the teeth and the lips. This commandment is a third fence set about it that it should not break forth into evil. Now, I've already told you tonight is very difficult for me to preach through the Ten Commandments because I have and you have many times misused our mouths, even in very subtle ways in allowing evil to break forth in how we speak to and about others. I want us to consider tonight as we look at this commandment and the importance of it in our life, I want us to consider three things. First, the meaning of the commandment. And then I want us to consider, second, the reason for the commandment. And then finally, the application of the commandment. The meaning, the reason, and the application. Well, as I have already noted, it is a courtroom setting. You will probably remember, as you've thought back on our sermon series on Exodus, that there are these sort of times of courtroom Um, interactions between Israel and God. You might remember Meribah, where the people put God to the test and they wanted to put God on trial. They, They were wanting to put Moses on trial, but God then comes and remember, he stands on the rock and he puts himself in the place of the people and he stands in their place as it were and he tells Moses to strike the rock and by implication to strike him with the rod of judgment. There is a courtroom setting to what God is doing there at Meribah. There are many other courtroom settings throughout the scriptures, and you will know that our society, not just America, but our society and our nations cannot function without just um, courts. A just court system is essential to the continuance of human society and interaction. Um, Eric Alexander reflecting on the courtroom setting of this, says what this commandment is protecting is the sanctity of truth in the sphere of justice. The sanctity of truth in the sphere of justice. Therefore, he says, the liberty of the individual in society. Because if law is not based on truth, then the foundation of life and liberty are undermined. If there is no truth in our court systems, then everyone can go around and destroy everyone with what they say they've done. You know, I'm not sure there has been a time in human history where we have seen the abuse of this commandment more than in our day where we have soundbite video clips in which our media can say anyone has done anything even when there is no evidence that they have and make it look like they have done something or someone can can, uh, accuse someone of anything without there being any evidence or any witnesses and the court of public opinion rushes in And that person's name is defamed, and his or her character is ruined, sometimes forever. Sticks and stones can break my bones, but words can never hurt me, is patently untrue. Reputation is quickly lost and stolen, but not quickly returned. Now, um, it's interesting, isn't it, that when God develops the idea of the courtroom setting and accusations and bearing witness against others, that one of the things that God established that was unique from all the other societies in the day in which he was working in Israel was that there had to be two or three witnesses. Remember, Deuteronomy 19.15, "...a single witness shall not suffice against a person for any crime or for any wrong in connection with any offense that he has committed." Only on the evidence of two witnesses or of three witnesses shall a charge be established. You see, God was protecting the reputation and the liberty of his creatures, of his image bearers. Um, The Bible has a great deal to say about protecting the reputation of others. In fact, so much so that when um, Peter addresses interactions in the church Simon Peter actually says, a love does no wrong to a neighbor. Love covers a multitude of sins. That we ought to be very slow to out someone because whenever people bear false witness against others, even in subtle ways, even in saying, you know, they didn't really do this for me. They didn't really do that to help out with this. Even in subtle ways, the damage is sometimes irremediable. Um, and and what lays at the basis and the root of that really is pride or desire for self-advancement. Why do people tear people down? Why do people falsely accuse? Why do people not speak truth to and about their neighbor? Because either they are trying to protect or advance themselves, or they're trying to protect their own pride and reputation in some way. Um, you know, it's interesting, this commandment really is much broader, as I've already noted, though, than just the courtroom. Um, Jerry Bridges has a great little book called Respectable Sins. I think you read it here years ago. And Bridges says this in his chapter on sins of the tongue. He says, we not only sin in our speech about one another, but we also sin when talking to one another. This sinful speech includes harsh words, sarcasm, insults, and ridicule. The common denominator of all these forms of negative speech is that they tend to put down, humiliate, or hurt the other person. Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Our real problem is our heart. This means that although we speak of sins of the tongue, our real problem is our heart. Behind all our gossip, slander, critical speech, insults, and sarcasm is our sinful heart. The tongue is the only instrument that reveals what's in our hearts. Man, I was deeply convicted reading that over and over. The tongue is the only instrument that reveals what's in our hearts. We can hide it with every other member of our body, but not our tongue. Um, you know, James, in his very cutting book, has that lengthy section on the tongue, and he says the tongue is a world of iniquity. How small a member, and yet what a great fire. It sets even hell on fire. What a small member, and yet how powerful the tongue is. Um, And so there is the meaning of this. It is not just in the courtroom, though it is certainly that, protecting the reputations and the life and liberty of our fellow man, our neighbor, no matter who he or she may be. But it also uh, runs to every other sin that the tongue may commit in tearing down or hurting or, um, or in some way marring the reputation of others. Um, you know, I, I, I am so convicted of the little ways and the many times I have done that with my tongue. Many times. You know, the greatest... The greatest commendation I've ever heard someone say was about John Skilton. He was a former professor at Westminster Seminary in Philadelphia. I've told you about him. I heard someone say, you know, I've never heard John Skilton speak ill of another person. Wow. One time in my life have I heard someone say of someone else, I've never heard them speak ill of someone else. Um. You know, gossip is not just because we like to be in the know. It's because we want to feel better about ourselves by putting others down. Slander is not just us skewing the facts, it's us lying about others to hurt them. Um, there are a litany of verses. You know this. Uh, the Proverbs say a dishonest man spreads strife, and a whisperer, a gossip, separates close friends. It's not harmless. whisperer spreads strife. A dishonest man spreads strife, and a whisperer separates close friends. Listen to this, Leviticus 19.16. You shall not go around as a slanderer among your people, and you shall not stand up against the life of your neighbor. I am the Lord. Now, what what is the reason why God gives this commandment? It's not just to protect our reputations and our life and our liberty. It is that. And it's not just that life is peaceful and sweet and harmonious. It is also that. But it is because God is a God of truth, and God cannot and will not lie, and God can be absolutely trusted. If I ask you tonight, who is the first person to ever bear false witness against someone, I wonder what you would say. The Bible says it's the evil one who in the garden questioned the truthfulness of God to Eve and said, did God really say? God knows that in the day that you eat of this, you'll be like God. God has lied to you. God can't be trusted. See, Satan's bearing false witness against the Lord. And because God is a God of truth and because God will only ever speak and act in truth, anything that perverts the truth is a reflection that we are not walking in accord with the God of truth. Um, Phil Riken puts it this way, the reason we are called to be people of the truth is because we serve a truth-telling God. God the Father is true. The Bible says, let God be true, and every man a liar, Romans 3, 4. God the Son is true. The Bible says that he came from the Father, full of grace and truth. John 1, 14. Riken says, Isaiah 53, 9, nor was any deceit in his mouth. He is truth-personified. Jesus said, I am the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. God the Holy Spirit is also true. In fact, the Bible calls him the spirit of truth in 1 John 4, 6. If God is true, Father, Son, and Spirit, then he must be true to his word. And so he is. Everything God has ever said, including every word on every page of the Bible, is absolutely, unmistakably, and entirely true. Therefore, we can always take God at his word. That's why this commandment is so important. Um, you know, one of the things that ought to distinguish believers from unbelievers is that we are truth-speaking and truth-telling people. And that doesn't just work out in our relationships. Paul will say, do not lie to one another. Speak the truth to one another. But it works out in how we bear witness about God himself. I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but we can break the ninth commandment by not bearing witness to the truth of God as he reveals himself in his word. Anytime we say, you know, I don't know that God's really like this when his word teaches that he is one way, we are bearing false witness against the Lord. Anytime someone says, I don't think Jesus is really the only way to God and we remain silent, we are bearing false witness to the Lord. You see, we are called to bear truthful witness man to man, woman to woman, Adult to child, child to adult, but we are also called to bear truthful witness to God Himself and to His Word. You see, this is the one command in a sense where the truthfulness of God on the on the vertical plane and the truthfulness of men to men on the horizontal comes together so clearly. Um I wanna just thirdly and and very briefly tonight, talk about the application of this commandment. Um, You know, as I was preparing this sermon, I thought, my, I have so much I can confess to the Lord by way of subtle ways of tearing others down, being hypercritical of others, not thinking the best of others. Remember, it's a heart sin. It starts here. When I think evil of someone else, I don't even have to say anything I'm thinking untruthful thoughts about them. Um, We are to believe the best. Remember what the Apostle Paul said, love believes all things, it hopes all things, it endures all things. We are to speak words of life and truth to one another. Um, when, When we recognize that we're not doing that, we should take a quick inventory check and ask the Lord to search us as to what motives might be driving why I'm saying these things. Is it it self-preservation, or is it pride? Or is it a desire to self-righteously look better than others? Um, This commandment is very deep and very broad. I want to read to us the ninth commandment for application, the the, uh, shorter catechism. What is required in the ninth commandment? The ninth commandment requires the maintaining and promoting of truth between man and man, and of our own and our neighbor's good name, especially in witness-bearing. And then question 78, what is forbidden in the Ninth Commandment? The Ninth Commandment forbids whatsoever is prejudicial to truth or injurious to our own or our neighbor's good name. Um, You know, if we were resolute about applying this in the church, you would never have divisions and schisms in the church on any kind of just bare interpersonal level. Um, If every one of us prayed regularly, Lord, keep a watch over the doors of my lips. Keep a guard over my heart. Protect my mind from thinking the worst about others. Help me to see the best in others. Help me when I'm speaking about others to speak well of them. You know what confused me as a teenager because I was so rebellious and I put my parents through so much, but every time my dad talked about me to people, he, he spoke about all the positive things he could about me. And I remember thinking, doesn't he know how awful I'm living and acting right now? Why is he speaking the best of me? Because he was putting this into practice. He wasn't turning a blind eye to my sin. He was protecting whatever name and reputation he could protect. And oh, that we would do that to one another. Um, you know, what happens when we recognize that we failed? Well, two things. One, we need to recognize that there's only been one person who ever walked the face of the earth that never bore false witness to his neighbor, and that's the Lord Jesus, only one, who never sinned with his lips and the way he spoke about others, only spoke truth, only spoke truth with right motives, only tempered that truth in love, and always spoke truth in love, always. And then, and this is remarkable, at the very end of Jesus's earthly ministry, when he is brought before Pilate and before Herod, Matthew tells us in Matthew 26, now the chief priest and the whole council were seeking false testimony against Jesus that they might put him to death. But they found none, though many false witnesses came forward. At last, two came forward and said, this man said, I am able to destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days. They took what he said, they twisted and perverted it, but it was because he became subject to false witness and false accusation that he would be crucified in order to atone for all the sins that we have ever done with our lips in violating this commandment. That's amazing. How will my sins of bearing false witness about others be dealt with? Christ dealt with it by being treated and accused by false witnesses and nailed to the tree for all of my sins so that I can go and say, Lord, have mercy on me, forgive me, cleanse me. Remember Isaiah. Remember Isaiah. You know, here is the greatest prophet next to Moses in the Old Testament. Moses, Elijah, Isaiah are the greatest. He is one of the most revered prophets and one of the most greatly used by God. But when he sees that vision of the Holy One of Israel sitting on his throne in his temple, Isaiah cries out, Woe is me, for I am a man of unclean lips. I don't know if you've ever thought about this. The one place where he was most gifted was the place where he recognized the most sin. Isn't that interesting? He was called by God to use his mouth to bring God's word to the nations. And he says, I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. And then God goes, and he has an angel take a coal from the altar, which is a type of what the cross is. It's essentially taking the blood of Christ and touching his lips, and God says, I've made you clean. You see, we need the blood of Jesus to cleanse our lips Um, one of the beautiful pictures of how God does this is right there at the cross. I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but Matthew tells us that both thieves were reviling Jesus. They were mocking him. They were bearing false witness against him. If you are the son of God, save yourself and us. Get yourself off the cross. And then something happens to one of those thieves. And God decides in sovereign grace to save that thief, though he has one foot on his way to hell as a thief and a liar. And though he had been mocking the Savior and bearing false witness against Jesus, God saved him at that moment while he hung on the cross. And this is beautiful. That man, Charles Spurgeon said, had no hands or feet to serve Jesus with, but he had a tongue and he put it to use and he rebuked the other thief And he said with that tongue, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. What has happened to him? God has implanted into him a heart that loves the truth and recognizes the truth about Jesus and cries out to Jesus on the basis of it while rebuking his fellow malefactor. It's marvelous. God has touched his lips with the coals of the altar. That man doesn't live to do any good works, but he has all the evidences that God has redeemed him because he uses his tongue to rebuke those who are bearing false witness that he once was doing with them and to cry on and trust to the Lord to have mercy on him. And then I want to just encourage us that as we go to the Lord and as we confess our sins and as we believe that he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us, that we would pray that the Lord would make us a people who speak truth to and about one another. Um, Now, there are some people, let me say this tonight, there are some people that say, I just like to shoot straight. A lot of times, those people are just harsh and sarcastic and mean-spirited, and that is not the truth-speaking that God is calling us to. There are talking heads who are very conservative, the Christians love, who are not speaking truth and love. They're just pompous and parading their own arrogance. And we can say, well, they're shooting straight. Now, a lot of times they're ripping down the reputation of others in the name of shooting straight with truth. We are always, always, always called to speak the truth in love. We are never called to just speak the truth. We're never called not to speak the truth. We are always called to speak the truth in love to and about one another. And here's the beautiful thing. The more we go to the Lord and the more we recognize what he's done for us, and the more we realize that he died to take away our untruthful lips, our lying lips, our slanderous lips, our gossiping lips, the more we will want him to purify us and make us a truth-speaking people. Now, I want that, and I hope you want that, and Christ has purchased that for us. And so as we abide in the Lord Jesus, and as we focus on what he's done to take away all the falsehood we have ever spoken, We ought to be growing up in him and being able to say that we are becoming truth-speaking people like the one who said, I am the truth. Let him who has ears to hear, let him hear this evening what the Spirit says to us. Let me pray for us. Father in heaven, even as we acknowledge the difficult nature of this commandment and as we recognize, Lord, how many times we have failed to use our tongues, In a way to build up others, to encourage, to speak the truth in love, to bear truthful witness to and about one another. We do pray that you would have mercy on us. We pray that you would forgive us, Lord, for the many times that we have done that. But we also pray that you would show us that you are committed to purifying our speech by purifying our hearts. We pray that you would free us from... Uh, the desire to tear others down in order to make ourselves look better. We pray that you would free us from that excessive, harsh, and censorious speech about others. We pray that you would free us from a desire to exalt ourselves in pride to the detriment of the reputation of others. Lord, would you begin that with me and with each one present here, and would you make us to be a people that seek to build up and speak words of truth and life to one another. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.